Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. So tonight we're we're finishing up our series on gospel fluency, and like I've said, it's a it's a message, it's a series that's challenged me. It's probably challenged me. It sounds weird it's, since I'm a pastor, but it's actually challenged me to preach the gospel more. Um, it's challenged me to think about it more, speak about it more, live it out more, and um, I've probably even used more Christianese than I like to admit. Um, the word sin is a word that has so much baggage, and I've intentionally avoided using for almost the entire year and a half that our church has been in existence, and uh, I've probably used it more in the last few weeks than that whole year and a half, which um, is interesting because growing up in a Christian home, I carry a lot of baggage with that word, and essentially, I believe that we... we um, participate in disrupting the peace and harmony that God desires for the world, the shalom that he desires. And that's sin. Uh, Let go of all the other baggage that we have around it. It's just not living in line with his desire and his plan. And that's where I've been excited, and I've actually loved this series, Gospel Fluency, because it's challenged me to work through some of that baggage that I carry And then to say, okay, how is the gospel shaping my life and changing my life and transforming it? So we've talked about uh, thinking gospel thoughts, speaking gospel truths, and tonight I want us to look at living gospel lives. Uh, So today the text that we're going to be reading from is Colossians chapter uh, 2, verses 6 to 14. Uh, So if you want to follow along in your Bibles or on your Bible app, feel free to, but we'll also have it on the screen behind me. So Paul writes to the Colossians, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ." For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead." When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So my prayer is that God helps us apply these words to our lives. And this series, it's had so many fingerprints of the Holy Spirit putting it together. When I first came across the book, Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt, I, um, I instantly wrote it down in this file that I have of sermon ideas. I was praying about it, and I'd, I like to let things just percolate. And uh, it, I usually have things going for several months before I actually bring it to fruition and begin preaching about it or talking about it. But, but while, while I was praying about it and thinking about it, our sponsor church, Gateway, 
decided to do the exact same series. And I had no idea, but the book spoke to Steve. It spoke to Lindsay, who's their worship pastor. And um, I just thought it was such cool affirmation to kind of see like, okay, I'm not going out on a limb here. It, uh, it's something that just reaffirmed um, that God was wanting me to share this with our church. So tonight, I want to actually walk through part of a chapter of a book, of, of the book. It's chapter 9, so if you've happened to read the book, Gospel Fluency, uh, you're going to recognize some of these examples, the stories, um, but that's okay, because if you're anything like me, it takes a couple times to get uh, sometimes into my head and into my heart. So chapter 9, Jeff, he, he starts off by talking, it's titled Fruit to Root. Now, um, I'm going to be saying that a lot, and... It scares me because I've always had a speech impediment with my R's. So if I'm putting extra emphasis on the R's, it's, uh, I'm trying to pronounce it correctly because I get mixed up. But uh, what's happening, though, with Jeff in this chapter is he describes this scene of where he comes home and he finds his wife uh, still in her uh, bathrobe and pajamas. And he had just dropped the kids off at school and he had a day off and he noticed she wasn't doing well. And what was happening is that she was struggling with worry over their children. Thoughts of worry were washing over her. Where are they at with Jesus? Are they going to surrender their lives to him? Are they in a safe neighborhood? Are they going to a good school? They should, should they be going to a Christian school? What are they being exposed to? And she was just being crushed with the weight of these concerns. And what I love is that I relate to where she's at. I just relate to to the struggle that she goes through and the worry that she's carrying. And especially since becoming a parent or actually even just since marrying Amanda and you have someone else outside of you that you care so much about, you just, I can relate to the anxiety and the worry of what if anything happens? What if she was taken away from me? What if, what if uh, anything happened to the kids? And maybe that's not what you struggle with. Maybe you struggle with something slightly different. Uh, anger, critical spirit, coarse joking, gossip, lying. But whatever the issue is, I think it's important that we keep in mind that we just pay attention to the overflow of our heart. Because whatever comes out from us in the form of thoughts, speech, behavior, it's really just an outflow of what's going on inside of us. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew, for out of the heart Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. So in our text today from Colossians, Paul uses the idea of a plant with roots to direct our attention to what's going on under the surface. And he says in verses 6 and 7, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And the point Paul's making here is that the faith we have in our heart, the same faith in Christ that we had when we first surrendered our lives to him and received Jesus as Lord, is the root of the good fruit in our lives. And when the root of what we believe is true, then the fruit of thanksgiving, for example, naturally flows. So Paul's simply saying that what we believe will impact 
how we think, how we speak, how we act. And so what we want is not a life of constant behavior modification where we have to try and try every moment to act in line with God. What we want is actual just gospel transformation where it actually just seeps in and begins to transform us from the inside out. In his book, Gospel Fluency, Jeff Vanderstelt puts it like this. The fruit of our lives comes from the roots of our faith. And so if we're like Jane that day and we have this problem on the outside with the fruit of worry, the thing we need to do is look deeper inside to examine our roots of what we're believing. And we need to learn how to trace these fruit problems to our root problems. So in this series, like Chris mentioned, we've been asking these four questions to help us understand the gospel better. Who's God? What has God done? Who are we in light of God's work? How should we live in light of who we are? These questions, asking these questions, answering these questions, always leads us toward remembering the gospel. And we can apply these these questions to every aspect of our lives, whether it's a situation we're dealing with, whether it's trying to figure out areas of unbelief and these, these fruits that are kind of being produced that aren't healthy, or one that I've actually been challenged with lately is even in my Bible study to apply these questions to, who, as you're reading one of the Gospels or a text, who's God in this passage? What, what's God done? What's he doing? In light of what he's doing, who am I? And how should I live in light of that? So as we ask and answer these questions biblically, I believe we just continue to keep gaining this better understanding of the gospel. We're just... As we continue to dig into scripture, we continue to get a better understanding of Jesus. And like that N.T. Wright quote I started off the service with, If we want to know what God's like, we look to Jesus. If we want to know what love's like, we look to Jesus. If we want to know what grief's like, we look to Jesus. But not only do we need the Bible, we also need the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's one part I loved throughout Alpha, where we were able to kind of dig in and and lean into the person of the Holy Spirit, because sometimes it gets neglected or forgotten. But the Bible says that we're being made into holy temples where God lives by his spirit. And Jesus promises us his spirit. So we have the spirit's help to understand and apply the truth of the gospel to our everyday lives and every situation we face. So getting back to chapter 9, Jeff goes through this illustration of of walking through helping his wife come to terms with... um, her anxieties and her fears and where it's stemming from. So he started asking her some questions in order to gently help her recognize some of this unbelief in the gospel. And he drew a tree on a napkin like this and asked Jane what she was experiencing. So he started off with an empty tree. Now, as I was reading this chapter, I actually cringed a little bit how it was presented because I felt... Alex gave me words for it the other day. I felt like he was mansplaining the gospel to her. Um, 
I know he's not intentionally doing that. He's just, it's a good illustration to get it across. So husbands, um, I just caution you, if your wife just needs you to be with her, just be with her, and uh, maybe a spiritual director, a pastor, a friend could even walk through this. Um, so just use sense, common sense. Just uh, I'll let that be. But uh, the other thing is that what, what you're going to notice as Jeff starts working through these questions, he actually reverses the order of these questions. So he starts from the fourth and moves up to the first. And the reason I believe he does this is because it's sometimes easier to start with the fruit that you're exhibiting and then dig that down and trace that to the root rather than starting with what the root should be and working outwards. So if the fruit isn't like Jesus, which consists of love for God and love for others, well, that's a good indicator that your faith is probably not in him. But like I shared in the first message, message of this series, we're all still unbelievers in so many areas of our lives. We don't always believe the truths about God as revealed in the gospel, and therefore we're living in unbelief. And we're still in a process of being saved, of being sanctified, of being transformed. And I love keeping that in mind, is that it's not a one-stop shop. You come to Jesus and everything's done. It's this process of progressive sanctification. So Jeff asks his wife, what are you experiencing? So she replies that she's experiencing anxiety and fear. So he writes down anxiety and fear as fruit that were hanging up on the tree. And then he asks her, what, what are you doing or trying to do? And she said that she was worrying, trying to figure out how she could control the situation. So he wrote down worry, desire for control, as two more pieces of fruit that were hanging from the tree. The next thing Jeff asked her was, considering what you are experiencing, what are you believing about yourself right now? So essentially, he's asking her the fourth question of, who am I? So she responded, I'm in control. So he responds, well, if you're in control, then why are you worrying? She says, well, it's because I'm not in control, but I believe I have to be in control. So Jane's kind of getting herself into this position of trouble, but again, we all do this. We all wrestle with this, and that's why, like last week, it's so important to be part of this gospel-speaking, gospel-fluent community where we can remind each other of the gospel and to remind one another about the truth. Because Jane's in trouble because she's believing something untrue about herself. She believes that she has to be like God, all-powerful and in control, and of course, she's not. So the result is worrying about her kids, which only creates more problems. And if we're believing something untrue about ourselves, then we need to dig a little deeper and ask, is there something that we're believing that's untrue about God? So Jeff asks her that question, what do you believe God's doing or not doing? And essentially, he's moved up and he's asking her the second question, what has God done? So she replies, I feel like he stopped loving me. So he asks a bit more, I didn't ask what you feel, but I asked, what do you believe? What do you believe about what God has done? So she admits, I believe that God has stopped loving me. I believe he's lost control of what's going on with our kids. 
And finally, she admits, I believe he's abandoned me. So he wrote those things down next to the right side of the tree trunk. Then he asked, what do those beliefs tell you about what you're believing God is like? And essentially, he's now moved up to that first question of who's God? So she replied, he's unloving, he's impotent, and he's absent. So he writes that down too and admits to being shocked because he's like, I'm a pastor, she's a pastor's wife. These are pretty bold statements to be calling God impotent and absent. How can she believe these things? But you know what? My heart, even behind the community that's developing at the well, is that we need to stop being so shocked about these statements. Because the truth is, we're all unbelievers in many ways, in many times. And if we just admit that right off the bat, then it just allows us that freedom to actually be honest with one another. We may profess to believe certain things about God, but an activity like this actually exposes that we all struggle to believe the truth about grace. And the way to get out of this mess is not to lie and say we have it all together and just show up and play the part, but it's to admit that we struggle to believe. It's to admit that, you know what, I do need help. And there's a quote that I wrote down. I was at a workshop last week with a, with a pastor, and she's now started an organization called Soul Play. But she said this, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's certainty. Our faith must allow room for doubt. And I love that because you would, my automatic reaction would be faith, the opposite is doubt, but faith is believing in things we can't see. So, of course, it can't be doubt. Faith, the opposite of faith, is certainty, of being certain. In fact, Jane here is like the psalmist who were totally honest and real about their frustrations, their areas of unbelief. And I believe this is the true path to healing and wholeness. Even as we looked at last week in our one, last summer in our one another series, confess our sins to one another. We have to admit our sin of unbelief. We have to speak it out loud. We have to share what's going on. We have to get past the Sunday school answers and just verbalize just what's actually happening inside of us, the questions that we have the doubts that we have. Because after all, God's not surprised. He knows what's taking place. And God's God. He can handle the truth. My most freeing moment was when I finally discovered this. And I was like, okay, let's put God to the test. And I just let him have it. And I realized he still loves me. And in fact, then Amanda and I actually started connecting deeper in Christ because I was able to be honest. And I'm excited to be able to share that uh, this summer we're going to start a new series called Summer in the Psalms. And it, what I love is that we're going to be wrestling through just human emotions. And the Psalms capture that so well. They give us tools on how to pray, but they also show us just how to communicate before God. Because ultimately, the Psalms aren't about being nice before God. They're not pretty. They're not nice. They're honest. It's about learning to be honest before God and in the midst of a culture that makes it so hard to do. So at this point in the conversation between Jeff and his wife, Jane, or Janie, she's confessing. She's confessing her sin. 
She's confessing her sin of unbelief. And this is so important because too often we just confess our sinful behaviors. We confess the fruit, but we haven't learned to confess the root of our problem. For example, God, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm worrying. But we're not confessing the sin of unbelief that leads us to that worry. Or, God, I'm sorry, I lied. But again, we're not getting to the root of what's making us lie. Or, God, looked at porn again, sorry. But again, what's the root issue that we're not confessing? What's the area of unbelief that we need to get to in order to address the fruit of that sin? Because there's also more than just confession. We need to also turn away, turn around, repent. And in our text from Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Because you see, after challenging them to look at the roots that lead to fruits, Paul shows them to look deeply into what they've believed and not just on the surface. He wants them to see how they've been deceived by lies. He wants them to take what it is they have believed and kind of hold it up against the gospel. And he does this because all sin stems from the root of unbelief. Lies are at the root of every behavioral problem we have. And because we generally only confess the fruit of our sinful behavior, we never really stop doing the sinful things, the, the things we shouldn't be doing. Because it's kind of like my neighbor who was out the other day just pulling dandelions, and she's not getting to the root of them. And I'm like, ah, they're just going to come back. And, and that's what we do with our sin is we just kind of cut off the tops, and we think that we're addressing it. But I'm convinced that's, that the reason some of us struggle for so long with the same thing over and over again is because we're not getting to the root of unbelief. We need gospel transformation, not just behavior modification. And I think this is the, the biggest thing, is that we can actually, we can step in and peel back the mask, peel back the layers and just say, you know what, I can't do this on my own. And, and th this is where I need Jesus. And through the power of the resurrection that's been given to us, through the Holy Spirit, the gospel will transform us inside out. It's not just about us white-knuckling it and trying to do better on our own. That's just behavior modification. Behavior modification would be like going to Janie and saying, don't worry, be happy, cheer up. It's not as bad as you think. Lots of people have it worse than you. That's just dealing with the fruit. Or another example on the opposite side of the spectrum is going up to her and saying, Janie, worry, that's sin. Don't you know God's in control? Just try harder. Stop it. But again, we're just dealing with the fruit. And besides, responses like those, which are often more common than I'd like to admit, just make you feel worse, make you feel terrible. You're like, I'm already worrying. I don't need to be told it's a wrong thing. But like Janie, like all of us, she had to come face to face with the root 
And that's where she discovered this, this sin of unbelief. But then she exclaims, but I don't really believe that about God. And he says, no, but you have been believing that about him. And at that moment, she has this decision to make. When you realize that, am I going to continue to just buy into these lies and go down this path? Or am I actually going to allow the gospel to transform me and to, and to repent? You see, repentance isn't just what you say no to. It's also what you say yes to. So would she turn away from the lies and turn toward and agree with the truth of the gospel? So Jeff asks her, what do you believe about God? And again, now he's kind of working through those questions. Since they've gotten to the root, he's starting with the first question again. Who's God? And as she spoke, Jeff wrote down her answers on the other side of the tree trunk as they started moving upwards now from root to fruit. So she replies, I believe that God's love. Well, how do you know that he's love? So now he's moving to the second. What has God done to show you that he's love? You see, it helps us to identify specific examples of God's love for us. Because we don't need a God who's disengaged and impersonal. We need a God who's personal and involved in our lives. And this is what she needs too. So when he asks, what's God done to show you that he is love? She replied, well, Jesus died for me. So he jumps in and says, yeah, that's right. And now she begins confessing, but it's not this confession of sin. Now she's confessing her faith. And at this point, he starts speaking the gospel into her life, speaking the truth about Jesus and love that we talked about last week. And in fact, I needed that this week from Amanda. I, I just kind of laid out some of my struggles that I was wrestling with, some of the hard conversations I had. And she said, let me just pray for you. And as she was praying for me, she just reminded me of some of the truths of the gospel. And Jeff does the same thing for his wife. He says, I want to remind you of God's love for you. That while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. While we are enemies of God, he loved us enough to give us Jesus. He loves us so much. And even when you don't trust him, he still loves you. Even when you're full of worry, when you try to be God for yourself instead of letting him be God, no matter what, he loves you. So he goes back and asks, what else do you believe about God? She says, well, he's powerful. He's in control. So he asks the next question. How do you know this is true, that God's in control? What has he done? Well, he created the world. He overcame Satan. He defeated sin. He rose from the dead. And he's like, yeah, that's right. Like if there was ever a time when it looked like God had lost control, it was when Jesus was dead. But yet God was so in control the entire time, that what looked like defeat was actually victory over Satan, over sin, over death. So Jeff was affirming Janie's confession of faith in Jesus, the one who's Lord and victor of all. So he asks, what else do you believe about God? And she's starting to gain confidence now remembering the gospel truth, saying, I believe that God's with me. He's not absent. He is present. How do you know that? What has he done? Well, the Spirit. I have the Spirit of God in me. Yeah, that's right. Jesus sent his Spirit to dwell in us, that we're not alone, that he's with us. All of his love and power is available to you right now for all that you're struggling with. And as Jeff and Janie continue to speak out loud the truths of the gospel, Janie started to experience a change. 
She was being transformed by the renewing of her mind. This wasn't just behavior modification. This was truly gospel transformation. And gospel transformation leads to behavioral change. Because when the roots start to heal, then the fruit will overflow. So Jeff asked his wife, what are you believing about yourself now? So he's moving to the third question of who am I in light of what God has done? And here's the power of the gospel here. She replies, I'm loved. I'm not alone. God's with me. I'm not powerless because I'm more than a conqueror through him. So what are you experiencing right now, he asks. She replied, love, joy, peace, hope. So he writes that down at the top of the tree. And the wonderful new fruit that was growing on her tree. So it went from this fruit of anxiety and worry and needing to be in control and just working through the gospel, working through what Christ has done, then started bearing fruit of love, joy, peace, hope. This is a strategy that we see Paul using throughout the New Testament. The Bible says that when we repent, when we, re- when we believe the gospel, when we fix our eyes toward the gospel, we'll be transformed and increasingly become more and more like Jesus. So back in our text in Colossians chapter 2, after telling the Colossians to pay close attention to the root and not just the fruit, and after telling them to carefully examine the root of what they believe about God and themselves, Paul gives them the gospel of grace. He starts working them from the root to the fruit, working them through the four questions. He writes, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Paul's answering the first question, who's God? What's he like? He writes, he's the head over every authority. And Jesus is the face of God. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. So the next thing he writes, In in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So now he's he's answering the second question of what, what God has done. He's cut us off from the judgment of the world. That we're buried with him into spiritual death as our baptism signifies. And we've been raised to new life. We've been given a brand new identity. A life that starts today and a life that carries on into eternity. As this free gift of grace. This is the gospel. So the next thing Paul writes is, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He's now answering the third question of who am I in light of who God is and what he's done. Paul says, I'm dead to sin and alive in Christ. I'm forgiven I'm a free person, uncondemned, sin-free. Everything I ever did wrong was nailed to the cross that Jesus died on. Because of the righteousness of Jesus, it has been given to me as a free gift as well. 
That's who I am. That's the good news of the gospel. The gospel sets us completely free. And then in the following chapter, Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love. So now Paul's finally answering this fourth question of what should I do in light of who I am? And the answer is to allow the Holy Spirit to help you become more compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, and loving. And so when we're looking at the topic of living gospel lives, acting out the gospel, please don't make the mistake thinking that this is just behavior modification, that you have to try harder, that you have to do better. Don't think of it as this other, this, another self-change project. With the help of the Spirit and in a community with others who love Jesus, who speak the gospel, examine where your beliefs have been disconnected from the gospel. And then turn around, repent. Turn away from the lies and towards God's truth. Confess your sin of unbelief out loud. Share it with someone you trust. What lies have you been believing? Speak them out loud and surrender them to Jesus. Because once you trace the bad fruit to the bad root, then ask the Spirit to reveal to you the truth about who God is and what he's done for you in Christ. Work your way through those four questions. And if you need to start at the bottom and go back or start at the top and work down. But actively remember who you are in light of who God is and what he's done for you. Know that you are loved. And God, well, guys, that, that's, that's the message I want to take to this community. That's that you, that you are loved, that there's hope, that we're, we've been set free. And man, I'm excited to, to get to be part of that and to see God's gospel transforming lives. Just like our statement says, making Jesus known, seeing lives changed, transforming our community. But it's not about us. It's the fact that no matter what we've done, where we've been, no matter what we've said, it's been forgiven. Your sin, my sin, has been nailed to the cross.